Welcome back to the Pregnantish Podcast, where we cover the incredible lengths people go to to create their families. Today's episode, why I'm using my late husband's sperm to try to have a baby, a love story, is no exception. Josh basically said, like, how amazing would it be to have a little piece of me live on forever? And you would be the most incredible mom. It's part of the reason why I want to spend the rest of my life with you and start a family with you. And if nothing else gave me his blessing to move forward with this, with or without him. Today's episode is presented by the American Cancer Society the leading cancer-fighting organization with a vision to end cancer as we know it for everyone. For more, visit cancer.org. When Fabi Cowborn traveled from California to Nashville for a football game in 2014, she never imagined her life would radically change. One night at a bar, she met Josh Powell, a handsome army ranger who had been stationed nearby. They would later describe the encounter as love at first sight. The two were just starting out their lives in their 20s when Josh received a devastating diagnosis. He had a rare form of cancer called synovial sarcoma. The two married and Josh passed away just one month later. While this part of Josh and Fabi's love story together ended, in many ways it continues to this day. She launched the Josh Powell Foundation in his honor, and this month she is undergoing another cycle of IVF with her late husband Josh's frozen sperm in the hope of conceiving a baby with him and continuing his legacy. Fabi, welcome to the Pregnantish Podcast. Your story, I feel like I should have worn waterproof mascara. It's so beautiful, emotional, <laughs> and inspiring. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I just, you know, I always like to ask guests to take me back to the beginning. And sometimes that means the beginning of the fertility journey. In this case, I think I want to go back to the beginning of your love story because your love story is so intertwined with your fertility story. So take us back to when you met Josh, like what was happening and what happened when you saw him and bring us back to that. Yes. I mean, we can probably all remember our early to mid twenties and just being on top of the world. We have our whole lives ahead of us. And I had been in like the midst of a super successful career. Josh just got stationed at Fort Campbell after graduating from West Point and earning his Ranger tab. So we were both at like the top of the world in our minds. And so when we met, we just, the universe had us collide at a bar after a football game. And it was one of those things where I thought it was just going to be a special meeting with somebody that I had a really great time with. And I was leaving back to California the next day. So I never thought we would see each other again. And we just never stopped talking. And to your point earlier, Josh got diagnosed two months later. So we had this whirlwind of a love story that took off the ground very quickly. And by the time he received that diagnosis, we were already so in love and so excited about the opportunity to leave and to not sign up for this journey with cancer. And I, it just didn't make sense. I waited 20, 
seven years of my life to meet somebody this special. And I had already fallen. And that's to me what love is, you know, when you say your vows, it's in sickness and in health. And he deserved to have somebody by his side through what would be the worst days of his life. And we turned them into the best days that we possibly could. And we just lived the hell out of life for the two years that we battled sarcoma together. And we just never let cancer win. You know, I think it's hard to sum up our story because it's so complex. And I love people to know that there was so much more to our love story than just cancer. You know, cancer was kind of the sideline thing that we had to face when we had to face it. And when we weren't, we were living and traveling and loving and planning for a future and setting goals and checking off bucket list items. And it's the way that we should all be living every day. But Josh and I were, you know, given this gift and this horrifying curse of perspective, the perspective that tomorrow is not promised. And we live that every day of our relationship. And we had to have very deep, serious conversations very early on in our relationship. Yeah, it sounds like just, just two months in, you got this diagnosis. So by then, now, by the way, I don't know if you know, Fabi, my background, I've written books about love my whole career. So my, my kind of career platform has been love, relationships, and now fertility. So this, this is uh, like the my per- we're the perfect heaven. match here <laughs> um, for, for sure. But we do know that the first few months of dating, our brains literally when we're falling in love are in this state where it, it like our brains mirror that of someone addicted to drugs or like, you know, with, with OCD, it becomes, and you know this, and I know this, it becomes so immersive. And then as we travel through life and love with a partner, and you and Josh did have those two years, and oh my gosh, you faced huge challenges, but our, our brains tend to change into another phase that's called attachment. And attachment is kind of when the, the the shine wears off a little, you might notice your partner has morning breath, <laughs> like things that, things that you didn't necessarily notice like in the first year, year and a half. But in your case, that accelerated so fast. You're in your 20s, two months in, he has a diagnosis. You already know you love each other. You already know you've never felt this way. But how did you respond together and how did you respond apart by this chapter, this news? Josh and I were raised obviously in two different households and had a very different experience growing up. Josh's parents were divorced and my parents have been together my whole life. And I think it was really hard for Josh to understand that somebody like me was real. You know, somebody that loved unconditionally and believed in love as much as I did. And wasn't scared of potential pain that might come with that love and his cancer diagnosis. So I think it took Josh a little bit of time to see like, but does she have an ulterior motive? Like, why is she like, why me? Like, why do, why does she want to love me? And why does she want to love me through this? And as soon as he realized unconditional love like this exists and you deserve it, as soon as he kind of flipped that switch, we were just unstoppable from that point forward. And I knew what a special person Josh was from day one. I spent 
so many years hoping that somebody like him existed um, and all the different facets that he had brought to the table. And I knew that I didn't want anybody else to steal my opportunity at, at this. If it wasn't me, it was going to be someone else. And I knew that I was equipped with the, I have a, you know, a caregiver's heart and I knew that I was capable of loving him through it. And it didn't scare me. If anything, it made me uh, more clear on my feelings for him. And so, you know, soon into chemo and radiation and all that, it was just too hard to be far away. So five months into us meeting, I moved to Nashville and I, you know, to take the pressure off, I just told him, you're either my vessel to Nashville. I need a change in my life anyways, or this is going to be a forever thing. And we have our, our magic ending to all of this and you're my forever person. Either way, I'm okay with that. So I'm coming to Nashville regardless if it's for us to be forever or if you're just my vessel, I'm okay with that. So don't think that, you know, I'm going to be mad at you if this doesn't work out and now I'm stuck in this city that I don't know anybody except for you, you know? So. Wow. That's such a gift that he, you gave him. I know you know that, but like just hearing it back in his most vulnerable moment, you were, you are, and you were an angel. And I think, you know, the fact that you got engaged through this is also noteworthy. So can you tell us about that? When did that decision happen and how did that happen? Yeah. So that's a really good point. So I think Josh had a really hard time with that decision in the sense that he was always trying to protect me from inevitable pain, right? So Josh wanted to wait to propose until he was clear of cancer, you know, because he would always say like, I don't want to leave you here without me. And I'm like, babe, I'm going to be here without you if that's what ends up happening, regardless of whether or not we're married or not. But I know that you're supposed to be my person and I don't want to marry anybody but you. So just take that into consideration when you do decide to to propose or not to propose. If that's what you're thinking about, don't think that whatever this, you know, whatever happens at the end of cancer, whether you get to see life on the other side of it or you don't, don't let that be a factor in what we do in our life because you are, you're it for me. He got the the news that he was in remission and he had already had the proposal in the works. I know because he left all of his journals behind and he has all of those plans written in his journals. Aww. He was so amazing with that. And he would always tell me, don't read my journals. And I never did until of course he passed. And, you know, he, he ended up proposing and unfortunately a couple, uh, less than a month after that, we found out that his cancer had metastasized to his lungs and we only had a couple of treatment options left. And when those didn't work, we had to move our wedding date up. He just never wanted to hurt me or leave me here without him, which of course I would give anything to have him back. Life is never going to be as sweet as it was with him here and probably never will be right. I'm just so grateful that we got to experience our wedding. Our wedding was a day that goes down in history and it was the most beautiful day of my life that I'll never forget. And hopefully we'll be able to share with our baby one day. Well, tell me about the day. What, what happened? So (laughs) just to spice things up as if we needed more spice to our life. 
Um, Josh was in the ICU the entire week leading up to our wedding. So we weren't sure whether or not he was going to actually make it to the wedding that we had planned. And so we were originally getting married in California um, in May of 2017. And we moved it up to November of 2016, which would have been our engagement party. And we had family and friends coming in for that already. So we just decided, why don't we just make that our wedding? And kept it very small, 50 people. And the day of our wedding, I, of course, went and got my hair done and with all my girls and I'm checking in like, do we think Josh is going to be able to make it? We luckily got him discharged (laughs) by the grace of God. And he was just in really bad shape and was in bed all day. And we just weren't sure I'd made it to the venue and, you know, one hour late, two hours late, three hours late. And then finally... Actually, his groomsmen did a prayer circle. Mm. And short, shortly after that, I, of course, was being pulled aside to take photos. And shortly after the prayer circle, we got a call from, I think it was either his mom or dad who was back at our apartment. And they said, he's getting up and he's, he's coming. And that's just who Josh was. You know, he promised me that he would be there that day. And he was literally inching near his deathbed and, you bet your butt he he showed up and he made it and he had a smile on his face that I've never seen so big and so bright and it's something that I'll carry with me forever but what was the most impactful thing is for everybody who was there was watching us say our vows to each other and when you say your vows you know you're usually young and healthy and you picture in sickness and in health I don't even know if everybody even pictures that and here we are literally living out our vows we did from day one we're basically married from the second that we decided to start this journey together of life and cancer and all of that stuff and it was just so nice to finally solidify that and to know that I was going to be his forever, you know, regardless of what happened at the end of all of this. And I think it was just a very moving thing to witness. Our wedding planner actually retired after our wedding. She's amazing. Like, I can't talk She was like, she was like, (laughs) I'm hanging out my hat. This is it for me. It's not going to get any better. And I'm still super close with, with our photographer and videographer. It was just a very, um, very, I mean, it was perfect for what it could have been and what it's supposed to be, what a marriage is supposed to be. It was like the epitome of, of that. We so get away from it. And we're so into, even in celebrity news, who's getting married, but it's not a challenge to get married. It's a challenge to stay married through the challenges that uh, that happen through marriage. And you guys had such a head start on that and you had already proven your strength as individuals and as a couple and the, the love one, right? But I can only imagine also, yes, you know, when you're thinking of the future and knowing that's not guaranteed, in fact, that's really not guaranteed. And it's becoming probably as he's getting sicker and sicker, becoming clear to you that you're going to lose him. I know you decided to freeze Josh's sperm. And I, I just wonder how that conversation or decision happened because that's also a huge uh, commitment for your future, not just uh, Josh's. So it's interesting. Um, how it came about, it's kind of awesome. And Josh was given the option 
after he was diagnosed to freeze his sperm with the mindset that chemo radiation will probably alter your ability to have children later in life. So let's start looking at family planning now because you're so young. Once you're on the other side of this, you'll already have this sperm bank. Should radiation and chemo affect your your sperm quality or whatever the case may be? And he actually ended up having a testicle removed and his cancer was in his pelvis. So that area was compromised from all of those things. So chances are we could have had a challenge getting pregnant naturally. So mind you, this was like right after we met. So when he throws his sperm, by no means was the sperm intended for me at that point. It was kind of like just proactive family planning, which we should all be thinking about. And it's not brought up enough, I think, in our regular appointments. But it wasn't until we had that appointment where our oncologist told us, you know, these treatments aren't working and the cancer is spreading really quickly and you need to move your wedding date up because Josh isn't going to make it to May. It was after that appointment and the only appointment that I ever fell apart in that he sat me down and mind you, we never talked about him not being here one day up until this point. This is a very intentional conversation that Josh had with me and I'm so grateful for it because chances are if we didn't have it, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. And I'm thinking like, what are we going to do about our wedding? Cause that was like the next thing. And he's thinking, what are we going to do about our family? And so he sat me down and I'm like, well, what about our wedding? He's like, well, what about our babies? Mm. I'm like, you're Uh. thinking about that. Like I've always wanted to be a mom since I was a little kid and any friends that had younger siblings, like I would be the one babysitting them, changing their diapers. Like I just, it's just in me, you know, I've always wanted to be a mom. Josh basically said like, how amazing would it be to have a little piece of me live on forever? Mm. And you would be the most incredible mom. It's part of the reason why I want to spend the rest of my life with you and start a family with you. And if nothing else gave me his blessing to move forward with this with or without him. And to me, that meant everything because Josh was my voice of reason. I'm a dreamer. And like I said, I believe if I have something in my mind, I will move mountains to make it happen. Crazy or not crazy. And for him to trust me to do this without him and be a single parent, hopefully not forever, but who knows, maybe forever he trusted me with that role and he gave me his blessing before he left. We wanted to donate today's episode with Fabi, which is a story of life, love, loss, and hope in the face of a devastating synovial sarcoma diagnosis to our friends at the American Cancer Society. For more than 100 years, the American Cancer Society has been the only organization improving the lives of people with cancer and their families through advocacy, research, and patient support to ensure that everyone has an opportunity to prevent, detect, treat, and survive cancer. Since 1991, the American Cancer Society has invested more than $3.1 billion in cancer research, contributing to 3.5 million fewer cancer deaths. Last year alone, their services and support impacted the lives of nearly 55 million people living with cancer. 
Learn more about who they are, what they do, and how you can help support their vision to end cancer as we know it for everyone by visiting cancer.org. And now back to Fabi's story. It wasn't like immediately after he passed away, I'm like, let's do this, you know, because I want a piece of them back. Like I wanted to be, make the right decisions and do it for the right reasons. So I gave myself four years to let life happen. And, you know, I proactively got checked to make sure that I wasn't like in a rush. Like, how are my eggs looking? Is there a need for me to create embryos right away? So you went to a fertility specialist for those tests? I did like within a year after him passing, just to be proactive, should I want to move forward? I wanted to make sure that there wasn't necessarily a rush. After that appointment, I knew that I had a couple years to to decide if this was really the, the journey that I wanted to embark on. So it was after lovely COVID lockdown that I was like, family's everything to me. What am I waiting for? I haven't met the second love of my life. And Josh was it. Like I wanted him to be the father of my children. Like what I need to just do this. It's time. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting during COVID. I don't know if you know this, but Fabi, but fertility treatments went up, egg freezing went up, all of that. And I was interviewed a lot by the media on this trend. Why is this happening? We thought the opposite would happen, but it actually makes sense. And just like for you, when, when we're faced with existential questions. Like, what does life mean? Where am I in this world? You know, Mm -hmm. we're connecting to such deep themes. We're not just living on autopilot. Of course, we're going to think about family. Of course, we're going to think about future and life. And and COVID really brought everyone to this point, collectively thinking about what what do I want in my life and what matters most? And Josh, to you, right? Matters most. Yes. Yes, because I'm like, what if we're locked up forever? Like, what if life never gets back <laughs> no. to normal? Like, at oh least gosh, I can so have scary. my dream of being a mom. Yeah. <laughs> and with, with his, well, you may or may not have heard, and I should send you the episode with Lauren McGregor. We did an episode on pregnancy on the podcast called Life After Death with IVF, which is Lauren Lauren's um, Instagram handle. She's in the UK, and she wrote me about a year ago when she was pregnant with her late husband's sperm. One thing that Lauren said I wanted to ask you about. So she felt in the UK, and maybe you saw this in the US, I'm not sure, but she felt she's had to, so many people contact her who have to jump through hoops to use the frozen sperm or eggs of their deceased loved ones. Can you talk about that? That's something like way undercovered. I'd love to hear about any, what was your experience and what advice would you have for others kind of in this situation that's not talked about? For sure. I think you have to be very proactive and have hard conversations that maybe you don't want to have. Like, of course, you never want to give up hope, but you also want to plan for the worst so that you don't, you're not left guessing. So because Josh and I were very open with each other and had those hard conversations, like, you know, what if cancer does steal you from me? Like worst case scenario, like where would you want to be buried? You have to make it clear in your will about the sperm should something happen because when he did his deposit, his 
mom was with him and it was under her name. So I'm like, you know, those are things that you have to think about. And of course, I'm not going to push you one way or the other. We've had these conversations, but you have to have that kind of stuff in writing. Otherwise it can get very, very complicated. Luckily for me, Josh had written in his will that should anything happen to him, his sperm goes to his wife. And so all I needed was a copy of that to bring to our fertility clinic to have it switched over to my name. But to Lauren's point, I mean, it it can be very, very complicated. And what I've heard too, which I don't know as much about is once the baby is born, depending on what state you're in, it sometimes can be difficult to have them named as the father without having a paternity test or, Mm. you know, certain documentation. I think certain states are more strict than others, but there are a lot of, of hoops that have to be jumped through. I know there's another military widow that I'm connected to who had a child while her husband was here, but then also had her second child after he had passed. And she's been an awesome friend, obviously, because it's such a unique experience and there's so few of us. And she told me that she had to go to court to have him listed as the father. But, you know, of course, it ended up that it was able to be done. And just you have to jump through hoops. Which is so unfortunate. Yes, because you just have to relive your trauma and your your grief on such a deeper level, like having to prove these things. And it's 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 tough. But you also see the why behind it. So it shouldn't have to be this difficult. but. I think the more proactive you can be as, you know, getting your ducks in a row ahead of time, the easier it'll be on you. That's really good advice. I mean, I think, yeah, it's these hard, well, again, you're forced to ask hard questions and get hard answers when you're going through hard experiences. But a lot of people sweep things under the rug thinking I'll get to it later. And when it comes to documentation, we can't because then it doesn't hold up. And sadly, the person may not be there to yes. speak up. So thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of sure. list- listeners need to know these things. I wonder with your fertility journey now, mm-hmm. how, first of all, take take us to that moment when you went back. I, I know during COVID it was illuminated for you. Now I want to try to have a baby. And then what happened? Yeah. So the tough thing too, and I don't know if it's just where I'm located, I'm in the South and I had a very weird experience. I consulted with two doctors locally and I felt immediately with my first doctor, I shouldn't say immediately. The first appointment went okay. Of course, this was all virtual because it was like very still lockdown-ish. I liked her and then we met in person and I just got this weird feeling that she just didn't want this for me. Mm. Whether it was like a personal feeling against what I was doing or just very negative. And of course, being there alone is like, you have to be brave to walk into a fertility clinic as a widow surrounded by couples (laughs) and pregnant women. And it's, it's brutal. It's very brutal. Uh, So I'm there alone already so vulnerable and so emotional. And I think the first thing she said was, I can't even find your right ovary. Oh my gosh. I've, you're 32. I've never seen a lining this thin on a 32 year old. And it was like during my 
point in my cycle where your lining is supposed to be very thin. So it was just, I was just so taken aback. I was like, wait, you like treat your patients like this, let alone a widow who's here by herself. Wow. So needless to say that didn't work out. I switched doctors at that clinic. And for numerous reasons, I decided that that wasn't going to be it for me. So adding another challenge is feeling like you are supported and that your doctor and your clinic wants this for you because you're, you're your only advocate right at that Mm -hmm. point. And you get to a point, as you know, where you feel like it's just time to move on. I had an incredible opportunity with Brown Fertility in Mm -hmm. Jacksonville, Florida, which is where I've been for my last three egg retrievals. We have one perfectly healthy embryo Mm -hmm. that we are hoping to transfer this November or December. I should find out the end of next week if any of our embryos from my fifth retrieval are perfectly healthy and BRCA negative. So my case is very complicated because we know that Josh and his mom carried the BRCA2 mutation. Mm -hmm. And because I have the ability to eradicate that from our family and the devastation that we all went through because of this cancer mutation, I have chosen to genetically test our embryos to try and avoid that mutation. And it's a 50-50 chance. So it's literally just a crapshoot whether or not our healthy embryos are going to be BRCA positive or negative. So that's been fun. Um, so For real. I mean, odds, nothing, nothing about just, this, nothing about nothing. this is easy, right? <laughs> nothing, nothing. And we just like to keep it as complicated as possible. Yeah. So the odds are just extra stacked against me. So we're just very fortunate to have this one healthy little babe and hoping <laughs> that this transfer is the one that, oh my that works. I really hope so. You've been through so much. Yes. There's nothing. I mean, why we're called pregnant There's nothing straight line about this process. Even when you're not dealing with the hundred more challenges you had, all of us undergoing fertility sure. treatments. I went through almost eight years and 18 treatments myself and Every it feels like every time you make steps forward, you get a call, and you're like, "Really? Like, are yeah, you like, serious? How did we make it this how far? Did that happen? Back to square one? <laughs> and then it's, it becomes like, like you have to likely. laugh about it because it's like so <laughs> ridiculous, right? At times, but you know, and we also have an audience of single people going through this, so you're not only going through it solo, like you said, and seeing all the couples, but you're you yes. have Josh and your heart and your mind and your. I cannot imagine. Why did you decide to start your platform sharing this story? It's funny. I, I've always had a calling, I feel, to share my, my story and my life with people. I've always been a very open book. I was born in old always connect Like, deep connections have always been a love of mine. And so when I lost Josh, I, I say this phrase, finding purpose within your pain. And to me, and I know so many others, that's the ticket to surviving the unimaginable. And so that's why I started the Josh Powell Foundation. It was my husband couldn't possibly have been taken from me at 27 years old for nothing, you know, I know that he would have created his own legacy should he have have had the opportunity to to see life on the other side of cancer. And by no means can I create what he would have. I didn't go through cancer. I was just 
by his side the entire time. So I knew that this legacy needed to be created because I knew how much his mentality through his battle with cancer could help other people and watching that bless people and in turn bless me because it gave purpose to his death. You know, he's not here, but he's still been able to help so many people with his legacy and his mindset and his tenacity. And so I knew that this journey would be no different. It's very unique. And there are so many people who go through IVF, but they do it in private. And people need to see what the everyday life is for somebody going through this process, because not only is it going to help the woman who's going through IVF solo, it's going to help the the people who are interested in egg freezing or sperm freezing or the couple that's going through it alone and, and don't have a voice or, or don't feel like they have anybody who understands. And so I, I just knew that I, if I shared, surely it could help one person. And I mean, it's blown my mind how many people who are like, I'm not even going through IVF and I gain something from following your journey. And it's all I could ever hope for. You know, we, we're all connected. We all have stuff. We all face our own adversity on a daily basis. And putting a face and a name to IVF and and what the day in and day out of this journey looks like, I think gives the average person so much more respect for their friends and family and coworkers who are facing this battle and to see the things that are typically only done behind closed doors, like ugly crying to a hundred thousand people on the internet. Like, what am I doing? But I mean, this is real life and this is the kind of stuff that in my opinion needs to be shared alongside the highlight reel, which is great and fun. But like, this is the real life IVF journey and you can get the most embryos you've ever gotten and zero of them can be transferred. Like it's just yes. to, to your point earlier, like you just laugh because it's like, what? Like this should have never happened, but here we are. Like how, what not, what next? You well, know, what that's why it's, next? and sometimes it's vulnerable, right? To share your story in real time. I did that too. When I launched Pregnantish, I was in year five or six of trying and struggling. And then you get a lot of what happened this month. And you're just like, it's too complicated. To, like explain <laughs> yeah. it. But you, you do have a six figure following. So you must get um, it's not, it's literally true that a hundred thousand people are watching you and listening and learning from you, which is such a blessing, but you must get inundated with questions. So thank you for using your platform to give this a voice. I think yes. the more of us that do that, the less stigmatized and also the more people can advocate for themselves when they face devastating diagnoses with a partner or without. Yes. There's just so much work to be done. So much work to be done. And I'm just so grateful for your platform. Honestly, you're helping so many people and giving people like me a voice and helping other people not feel alone. Like there's no greater gift than that because that's how you are able to survive and push through and, and continue on. If you're alone and, and you face all of these things by yourself, I mean, you just drown in it and it overtakes you and, that's why it, you know, it's, it's so important that we do what we do. And obviously if, if we didn't get the, the positive feedback and those 
beautiful messages. Like, because you shared this, Mm. this happened, like that's what keeps us going. So I tell people, you don't have to share your story from the rooftops. Like I do what you're doing just by validating my why is what keeps me going. So we all need each other for different reasons. Absolutely true. What message, this is a question that used to make me very emotional, but I I would think about it a lot. Mm -hmm. For your future child or children, Mm -hmm. what would you say right now to them? Just how incredibly loved and wanted they were before they even got here. I think that's the thing that blows my mind every single day. Like I know Josh would be the most incredible dad, like, and it pains me so much that I won't ever get to see him just being a total goofball (laughs) in front of our kids and just helping them see life the way that he did. And just, get to know the amazing man that he was. And of course they will learn that through me and all of Josh's family members and loved ones and friends. But we have an entire village of hundreds of thousands of people who have made it possible for me to get this far in our journey. And one of the cool things that I did when I was fundraising for, I think it was retrieval number four was to give people the opportunity to have their name on the back of a a puzzle piece. Uh And so Josh, my sign for him is an eagle. And so I bought this 1000 piece puzzle of an eagle and anybody who donated their names are written on the back of a puzzle piece. And I will frame that Hmm. one day when baby P is here and they will get to learn about all of the people that made it possible for them to be here and to fulfill their mom and dad's wish of creating them and starting our family and continuing their dad's legacy. And it's such a beautiful question because honestly, nobody's ever asked me that, but just, I think every child wants to feel loved and wanted, you know, but to know that your dad doesn't get to be here, but your dad wanted you here so bad that he made it a point to to give me his blessing before he went to heaven. And now we have this extraordinary village of hundreds of thousands of people who have made it possible to get to this point where you get to be here. So that would probably be where I would start. Oh my gosh. It's so beautiful. And where can people find you and find the Josh Powell foundation? Yes. So Fabi Powell on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram and TikTok are where I'm the most active. Instagram, I spend many hours every day responding to everybody (laughs) who DMs me. So if you're really wanting to get in touch with me there, joshpowellfoundation.org is where you can check out the nonprofit and see what we do. We provide care packages for newly diagnosed sarcoma cancer patients. And we also fulfill bucket list items and wishes for terminal patients and their families to cherish those memories forever. So incredible. Well, thank you so much for being on the Pregnish podcast. I can't wait to follow your journey more and just learn more about life and love, loss and legacy. Yes. Through your late beautiful husband, Josh, and your story. Thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor. You've been so lovely and I love this platform that you've created. 
Thank you for being here. And thank you for listening to another episode of Pregnant-ish, where we cover extraordinary family building stories, show what infertility looks like, and feature inspiring guests who are using their voices and platforms to educate, motivate, and illuminate all in the name of love and family. Until next time.